You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. Terrific. Thank you. Blessing. Father in heaven, anoint our words today. Open our minds to understand things that perhaps we couldn't understand before. Give us insight. Give us revelation. Help us to solve one of the big problems of life. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the series of Can I Ask That? And one of the tough questions is why do bad things happen to good people? For instance, that poor lady that on the southwest jet, the engine blows up, the window shatters, she's sucked outside and killed instantly. Why does that happen to a good person? She's a lovely person, great husband, wonderful kids. Why would that happen? Why did God allow that? Right? Why do all these bad things happen in our world if God is all good, if God is all knowing, if God is all powerful? Why do bad things happen to you, to I, and to our families? There are a lot of bad things that happen in our lifetime random violence, war, murder, abortion, genocide, racism, the Holocaust which met six million Jews were killed by cruel people, senseless tragedy and accidents, natural disasters, poverty, cancer, disability, cruelty, crime and treachery, disintegrating cultures, broken families, and the list goes on. And Solomon says, what is crooked cannot be straightened, what is lacking cannot be counted. If you look at your childhood, I had a very uh, remote sort of British family, was no affection. I was never told that I was loved. It was a disciplinarian thing like the ones in the movies. Father at one head of the table, mother at the other, and straight backs and all that. And it was awful. The lacks in my childhood, the lack of love, the lack of care. They never cared if I was hurt or not. I just had to have a stiff upper lip. And we could all look at some part of our life and say, I lacked this. I lacked that. It's not fair. Why did I have to go through this or why did my family have to go through this? What is crooked cannot be straightened. Look at American politics, Australian politics, Filipino politics, anywhere politics. It's crooked. You straighten it out and it bends back again. You arrest three or four people and the next people are just as crooked as the ones that got arrested. And around and around we go in this world. So... When bad things happen, let's look at the wrong answer before we look at the right answer. There was some president at that very time who told him, that's Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So the lady who was sucked out of the plane was not a worse sinner than anyone else on that aircraft. She was just a normal person. And yet this tragedy happened. It's not as a result of your sin that bad things happen to you unless it's a direct result of the sin. But it's not in some abstract sense. 
Obviously, if you get drunk and have a hangover, that is the direct result of your sin. But things like accidents, they are not happening because you did something wrong in this life or a past life or your grandfather or grandmother did something wrong. It is not because you have been singled out for punishment by the universe. All of us are sinners. All of us will go to hell unless we repent. And then we will pray. But in this room, the vast majority of you have repented. The judgment of God has passed off you. You have gone from death to life. And yet still bad things happen. So that's the wrong explanation. The wrong explanation is it happened to you because you're a bad person. Okay, here's some big reasons. Firstly, the fall. We live in a world that has fallen because of the sin of Adam and Eve and the consequent sins of multiple generations of human beings. We have created a world through our sin which is dysfunctional, which is spiritually broken, which is alienated from God and all his goodness. Also, as part of that, we belong to a thing called the present evil age. The age we are in now, before the return of Christ, is called the present evil age. It's dominated by powers and principalities in the heavenly realms, by Satan, by all these, these demons that govern nations and govern cultures and, and govern villages and cities and are responsible for the great sins of our age. We are in an evil age that naturally goes wrong. We are not in a good age of where everyone is blessed and happy. Yes, that sometimes happens. Sometimes life improves, and that is terrific. We've seen great improvements in the human condition in the last 200 years. In the last 200 years, we have gone from 90% of people living in absolute poverty to 10% of the world living in absolute poverty. If you go back 200 years ago, 95% of people were farm laborers. Uh, and so... Uh, the world has got better, but still the nature of the age, unless we get a, a, a revival or something like that, it's a present evil age. The third reason is God is patient with sinners. You say, why doesn't God zap that particular politician that we dislike? Why doesn't God zap the cable company? Or why doesn't God zap the, the car salesman that sold us a lemon? Why aren't these people that annoy us the people that cut me off on the freeway, why aren't they immediately zapped by a lightning bolt after they cut me off on the freeway and all the other things? Because God is patient with sinners. Let's look at Romans 2, verses 4 and 5 for a moment. The book of Romans. Okay, Romans 2, 4 and 5. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness and your penitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation in the righteous indignation of God. So what he's talking to these people is hard-hearted. He says, don't you know that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? He gives you a long leash, but it is a, it, there is an end to that leash. There is a time when God says, okay, you have been wicked, I would now intervene. But God has great patience. In fact, with the, uh, with the, the land that uh, Abraham was going to possess, he said, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You've got to wait another 400 years. 
400 years of patience by God. So uh, God is patient with sinners and has process going on. Next thing is this world is full of active evil. There is a demonic hatred of good people. When Lucifer is cast down, when the dragon is cast down to earth in Revelation 12, 17, he is full of wrath and goes to pursue the people of God. He comes down angry at the earth. The demons, the devil, does not like the preaching of the gospel. The devil does not like people living holy lives. The devil it tries to create what we call habitations of darkness. Psalm 74, verse 20. And this explains a lot of things, especially if you've traveled around the world. Psalm 74, verse 20. Have, uh, for have respect to the covenant, for the dark places of the earth are full of the haunts of cruelty. The dark places of the earth are full of the haunts of cruelty. And I remember going to Gawi village, a village in... Uh, Noted for its sorcery and noted for its insanity in Papua New Guinea. I went there and, it, and everyone in the village practically was naked and crazy and insane. It was violent and disturbed. 500 people or so completely out of their mind with demonic activity. I went there to preach the gospel and the, the Papua New Guinea pastors who paddled the canoe that took me to this village were terrified of going there. But we went there to preach the gospel. It was dark. It was scary. It was like walking into a horror movie. And this was a place in which terrible things happened. And a doctor from New Zealand who went there said he saw more pathology in two days in Gawi village than he had seen in 20 years of practice in New Zealand. It was sick. It was dark. It was twisted place. And there are places on this earth, such as Somalia and other places that are full of great darkness and cruelty and slavery and drugs and things like that. And there are dark places and when a good person goes there, bad things happen. Persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, For all who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you're living a godly life in an ungodly world, you're going to get some level of persecution. It might be ridicule, as, as, as uh, uh, blessing or singing. Uh, some people might say bad things against you. Some, things might, some people might throw things at you and hurt you. Some people get killed. Some people lose jobs. Some people are ineligible. But if, you're a, uh, if you're a Christian and you're trying to get in certain professions that are loaded with uh, people from, uh, who don't like Christians, you may not get a job. Uh, I don't think I'd get a job at CNN. So uh, they, they, there's a places where there will be persecution against you, right? So that's part of the thing, and that's because there is active evil in the world. Now, the, another reason for darkness and cruelty and things going wrong is the worship of idols, the worship of demons not created God. In 1 Corinthians 10, 20, it says, those who worship idols worship demons and not God, and I do not want you to be a participator with demons. So, for instance, when people worship money instead of God, what happens? Have you ever been in a company where the bean counters ran the company, where everything was cutting the corner, where it was, okay, we're going to make this, this, and this? Now, Southwest isn't like that. It's a good company, I'm sure. 
But in other companies, in other airline companies that I've flown on in remote parts of the world, they're always counting the, the, the cost and everything's breaking down on the plane. And you're lucky to get there. Because people are worshipping money rather than God and there's shortcuts. And, and we see this was two earthquakes. One in Haiti and one in Christchurch. And they happened in the same week. And they were both magnitudes about the same. Uh, Haiti was 7.0 and Christchurch was 7.1. And, and, and in Haiti, thousands of people died. And the buildings fell over. And there was death and havoc. And the, 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 the island is wiped out to this day. In Christchurch, it shook. And the buildings cracked, but no one died. Because people were thorough and they did the work well and they built the buildings properly. And the same thing, two different places. One where there was a worship of idols, one where there was no thought to the workmanship, one where there was, uh, where it was shortcut, shortcut, and people died. Another place where things were done properly and professionally, people lived. Right? And Christchurch is a very godly city, hence the name. So there is a difference. In one place, bad things, hap bad things happen to good people. In the other place, no bad things happen to good people. It's because of good engineering. I'll come back to that later. So we, when we worship lust, not love, the, the, uh, the relationships get twisted and all sorts of bad things happen. When we worship culture, not Christ, uh, other things happen that are bad. Worshipping ego and vanity, so there's clashes and strife and contention instead of the truth. When we put all that idol worship together, you get cruel, just self-justifying systems of oppression and iniquity known as structural evil. There's a structure in the place that creates evil around it, and you can't get out of that structure. For instance, uh, in some countries, the police, the police are corrupt, and they will pull you over and say, you were speeding, Give me this chunk of money and you'll get out of your fine. And everyone does it. Uh, that is structural evil. My wife and I lived for a couple of years down the road from a certain policeman whose salary would have been probably $200 a month. But he had three big black expeditions. He had huge parties every night. He'd block off the street to have all these celebrations. Where did he get this money from? Structural evil. Right? He got it from corruption. And these systems just keep on going. And it becomes normal to be that way. In some cultures, rape is normal. It's a structural evil that's part of that culture. And when these systems come, we, uh, bad things happen and keep on happening. Human free will. God created us free, and we can make decisions, and we can make bad decisions. We have the decision to love or to hate. We can forgive someone or we can continue to hate them. We have the, 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 the thing to be generous or to be selfish when we come across someone in need, to be patient or to be harsh with our children, to do good or to commit evil, to be kind or to be cruel, to give what is needed or to withhold it like the rich man did with the guy at his gate. Lazarus is at his gate. Every day the rich man goes past clothed in purple and he withholds the good that he had and ends up in the lake of fire. And his human free will made that person, that vulnerable person's life a misery. 
And we have the choice to be truthful or to be deceitful in our business dealings. So this creates things. Now finally, there's redemptive suffering. This is when people suffer for the good of others. And it is my thought that this poor lady was in, se in a sense redemptive. Because if she had not gone through that window, if she had not blocked that window, there would have been explosive decompression in that plane. And everyone's lungs would have exploded. If she had not blocked that window, the air would have rushed out of the plane and the pressure in their lungs would be greater than the pressure in the cabin and even with the oxygen mask giving them oxygen, that would not have kept them alive because their lungs would have just popped like a balloon. That would have been the end. But of everybody, if her body had not blocked that window, the plane would be unflyable and everyone in it would have been dead. In a sense, her death was for the entire aircraft. Right? And sometimes it says Christ on the cross. For Christ also hath suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, and Paul says of himself, this is why I endure all things for the elect, so they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. There's been some times as a missionary, my life has been very, very, very hard to the point of despair and discouragement. But you do all things for the sake of the elect. You go out there and you engage knowing it's going to be difficult and you say, okay, no one goes out to be a missionary thinking it's going to be a luxury cruise. Right? You go out there and you live the missionary life on the mission field and you accept that sometimes bad things are going to happen, you're going to get diseases, I got malaria, I nearly died, and so on and so forth. So you go through difficult things for the sake of the gospel. So this world has systems and it's loaded against us because of the demonic powers and principalities. In which case, why bother? I mean, if the world is basically evil, with the present evil age, why don't we just surrender to it? Why don't we just give in to temptation because we're going to get beaten up by Satan anyway. We're living in, in structural evil anyway. Why bother? Why don't we just take the advice of Job's wife who said, Job, just curse God and die. Right? When life gets tough, why don't we just curse God and die and give up and stop the struggle of being good. You know, it's really hard for me to be good every day. It says, do not get weary with being good. Sometimes it's wearisome to be generous. It's wearisome to get a phone call from Africa at 2 a.m. in the morning with someone asking for help about a missionary problem. It's weary never getting eight hours sleep. It's weary uh, having to work seven days a week. Uh, I very rarely get a day off. So it's weary and it's hard. And you think, why am I being good? Why am I doing this? Why don't I just go off and da-da-da-da-da? And there are some good answers to that question. Why should we have to put up with it? Why, should, why don't we just blow our tops and stop off out of church and say, God, you failed me. You didn't deliver. Where's my Jaguar? Right? Where's my Rolls Royce? Where's my prosperity? Where's my gold and my investments? Right? That missionaries don't end up with that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, where? Why don't we stop off in a huff? Firstly, 
Look at Jesus and obedience and discipline. Though he was God's son and entitled to everything, he learned obedience through what he suffered and became a source of salvation to many. Jesus learned obedience by having to put up with the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the uh, slow-learning disciples and going through the Garden of Gethsemane and finally the cross. He learned obedience. If I had been with those slow-learning disciples, I might have given them a two-by-four around the head. Why don't you wake up and learn this? Right? But he was patient and he was kind. Right? So he learned obedience. He learned to control his tongue and his temper. He put up with the Pharisees and Sadducees. He put up with a world that was inflicting stuff on him day and night. Hebrews 12, 7. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with your sons. But what son is there that a father does not discipline? So if you have an impatient nature, guess what's going to happen? God's going to put delay after delay after delay in front of you as discipline. And you're going to blow up, and you're going to blow up, and you're going to blow up until you finally realize that blowing up does you no good. You accept the discipline. You calm down and you learn to put up with delays. God will cause you the suffering you need in order to grow up. Growing up is terrible. I would like to be permanently 10 years old. I think most men would like to be permanently 10 years old. This is our natural age. Having to grow up and be responsible and pay bills and be mature and be in control of our emotions, this is difficult. And God forces us to grow up through suffering and as we master the various challenges of life, through the discipline of God, we become mature. Growth in grace. Not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance, proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit was given to us. So Paul would rejoice in his tribulations because he knew that God had ordered those struggles for his self-improvement. That he would become stronger, he would become more enduring, and God will not give you more than you can handle. Okay, glory and reward. Therefore we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. There are two yous. There's two people called I in the Bible. There's the I that you see in the mirror, the self that you see in the mirror, and there is the eternal self, the inner man, which is being renewed day by day. And in Colossians it says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So your old self has died, and your new self is hidden in the heavenly realms in Christ with God. So your outer person is being destroyed, it's decaying. But your inner person is being renewed day by day, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable internal, eternal weight of glory. So this inner person, which is the real you, the you that will last forever, if someone shot me and I dropped dead this instant, this body decays, it's finished. My real self, my eternal self, goes to be with God and it receives its weight of glory. And that is the same for each one of you. You have two selves. Your real self is your inner self that will be around for all eternity. Your cultural self, your outer self, that is temporary. So we do not focus on what is seen, 
but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The unseen gives meaning to the seen. The soul gives meaning to the body. Love gives meaning to the, fam to the family. Salvation gives meaning to light. The unseen and the invisible gives meaning to that which is visible. Right? Purpose gives meaning to your work. The invisible things give meaning to the visible things. And your inner self gives meaning to everything in your life. And if you endure suffering, then the momentary light affliction is producing an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. We also suffer so we can suffer others, so we can comfort others. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So people who have been through drug addiction and through all those things are really good at comforting other people coming out of drug addiction. People who have been through a family breakdown are good at comforting other people who have been through a family breakdown. People who have been through stress and burnout are good at comforting people who have been through stress and burnout. God needs you to be a comforter. He needs you to be a point of grace in the world. God has not called you to live in a stainless steel cylinder of perfection where you have everything just so and you don't comfort everyone because you're all right and you don't need to comfort anyone because your little world is just so and just perfect. Now there's a part of me that would love to live in the stainless steel cylinder of perfection. All polished, all neat, all nice, but my life's not like that. My life is an earthen vessel chipped and broken, and hopefully full of the grace of God that he has deposited in me. And so with you. You are, you are afflicted so that you may comfort others with the grace of God. Okay, how do we cope as a Christian? How do we put up with suffering? Firstly, the Holy Spirit is your comforter given from God, and he pours the love of God out in your heart. Next, the anointing breaks the yoke. When you're in great affliction... When you're in, in a point of pain where you feel your heart and your soul and your mind can no longer cope with the unfairness of all, get someone who is anointed to pray with you for a good long period of time, like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or an hour. Go and say, I need extended prayer from a group of friends, say, at your Bible study or something like that. And as the anointing of God, God's Spirit speaks to your spirit, and as people pray for you, it will break off the depression. It will break off the anxiety. God will come through and speak to you. God will turn up and your perspective will shift and change. The yoke of misery upon you will break as people spend extended time. not a one minute prayer. It's a time of soaking prayer over you will break the yoke and you'll come out of that able to see your way through the forest. It says the presence of God in the midst of suffering is redemptive that's what happens to Job at the end of the book. He's gone through this terrible suffering and God turns up and Job says, okay, even though you're disciplining me, I put my hand over my mouth and I repent and God's presence redeems Job's suffering. Faith and hope. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what is promised. As we are coping with suffering, we need to keep our faith. We need to keep up our hope. We need to keep up our optimism. Now, one of the temptations of going through bad times is to go out and 
hang out with people who are grumbling, to hang out with negative people. Misery loves company. So you go and hang out with some other miserable people and you complain about the church and you complain about the pastors and you complain about God and you complain about some difficulties in the Bible and you sit there negatively. Oh, well, God disappointed me. Right? And the other person said, yeah, he disappointed me too. And you all comfort one another in your unbelief. That is not how you survive suffering. Uh, you survive suffering by going to someone who is full of faith and hope and saying, Pastor, help me get my head straight. Pastor, I want some faith. I want some hope. I want to be positive in the midst of the negative. Right? So you would find people like Esther, who was, and, and she had Uncle Mordecai, and Haman's just about to kill all the Jews. And it's really nasty and it's really high pressure. And Mordecai says, Esther, you're all married to the king for this time. You get on with this. Stop being a sulky little girl and get this fixed and solved. He doesn't let her sit in a puddle of misery. He makes her use her faith and her hope so she fasts for three days and approaches the king and the problem is solved. Right? When we have faith and hope, we can act, we can find solutions in the midst of our perplexity. Uh, and it says in Romans 8.18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Keep an eternal perspective. Keep your eyes on heaven. Pray for one another. Here we are. Peter's in jail. He's been thrown there by Herod. He wants to chop his head off. He just chopped James' head off a little bit earlier. And now the Jews said, oh, this is good. So he said, oh, I can please the Jews by chopping the heads off the Christians. I will chop Peter's head off next. So he's in jail. And the church prays and prays. And Mary, the mother of Mark's house. And then an angel comes and rescues him from prison. He didn't know he was being rescued. Then he, when he comes to himself, it says, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. They prayed, and the bad stuff did not happen. Herod had lined up for bad things to happen to a good person. It was about to happen. It was going to happen the next morning, and people prayed, and the bad thing did not happen to the good person because prayer stopped evil. When you pray particularly when you get together as a group and pray in your Bible studies or as friends over coffee or as a family, when you get together as a group and pray, evil is stopped in its tracks. Right. Now, I have a friend, Mike McGill, and around Christmas time, he's at our church, uh, he had a, a flu, and the flu took out both his kidneys to 0% function, and he was in a coma. But Minda and her friend, I was overseas at the time, Minda and a friend of hers called Cynthia came and prayed. And then later I prayed and I visited him weekly. And at first he was in a coma and he was having dialysis seven days a week. When I spoke to the doctor, they said, his, his kidneys are gone, it's, it's the finish. But then his kidneys improved and he went to dialysis three days a week. They put him in a nursing home. We went and we prayed and we prayed. And people prayed, not just me. And then his kidneys came up. And he didn't need any more dialysis. And then he went home. And last week he came to church. And this week he drove to church. 
at harvesting. That is the result of prayer. He should be dead, but he is alive. Why is he alive? Because people prayed. So that when you pray, you, have, you can roll back evil. Now love one another. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech but with truth and action. I was once going through a very, very, very dark time in my life. And a church member came round with some McDonald's just was at, when I was at the lowest of my low and gave me some McDonald's and took off five minutes later. But it gave me hope in the midst of my absolute darkness. When we experience kindness, when we experience grace, when people go out of their way to think of you and love you in the midst of your pain then the bad that has happened to the good does not seem so bad. If we say, oh, look, uh, do you need some gas in your tank? Or, look, your tyres are no good. Do you need a hand getting new tyres? When you help people like that, according to your ability, when you help people like that, and we love one another with truth and action and hospitality, and we notice things about others, and we step up to the plate, then the bad things don't happen so badly. People have a floor under them. They know the church is going to care. They know they're not going to starve because they're part of the body of Christ. Right? And that's what needs to happen. And when we love one another, there's no more lonely people in the church because someone says, oh, that person's lonely. I'll go and visit them. Right? And the bad, when we love one another, the bad does not seem so bad. Now, don't just sit there. This is the nail in the chair illustration. Okay, assume there's a nail in the chair. If there's a chair here and there's a big nail sticking up through the chair. How do the various philosophies of the world cope with this bad thing that's about to happen to this good person who's going to sit on the chair? What is what? what? Let's have a look. Fatalism. I was destined to sit on the nail. Mark tube, that's it. The nail was put there. I sat on it. That is my fate to sit on the nail. That seems rather stupid. Karma, I did something wrong to deserve it. My grandfather or father did something wrong, so I sat on the nail. Guilt, my suffering atones to this, my sin, so I will sit on this nail, and I will suffer, and I will suffer, and I will suffer, and then my sin will be paid for because I sat on the bed of nails. No, that's not a good answer. Hinduism, the nail is just part of the illusion. The whole universe is an illusion called Maya, the nail is an illusion, my body is an illusion, so sitting on the nail does not matter. Monism, the nail and I are now one. Everything is one because I sat on the nail. Superstition, a demon put the nail in the chair and it was a magic spell and that nail just popped up there and got me because a demon put the nail in the chair. The new age, I manifested the nail by being negative and I know a person who thinks that way. And, and she's constantly getting scammed. And she said, how did I manifest that scam? And everything, she, how did she manifest it? Because she's trying to be positive. Christianity says, just remove the nail. Christianity is the religion of fixing things. When Jesus came up to a leper, he, put, he fixed the leper. When he came up to a uh, person who's dead, he resurrected the dead person. 
Christianity pulls out the nail and fixes the problem. When you look at the Human Development Index, nine of the top ten nations are Protestant-based. They have the Protestant work ethic. They believe in solving problems. They believe in being positive. And because places like New Zealand, they build their buildings right, the bad things don't happen. Your work, your daily work, when you do it diligently, is part of your Christian calling. Because when you double-check the things in the surgery to make sure all the scalpels are lined up and everything is correct and the number of swabs is pulled out that is put in and things like that, you are doing God's work. You're making sure that bad things do not happen to good people. When you do good engineering and you build a building or a car correctly so it does not break down, so people are not killed on the freeway because that car is built correctly, you are doing God's work and you are stopping bad things from happening to good people. If you're a teacher and you teach people and you teach people how to live correctly and think correctly and not to make bad decisions, then you are stopping bad things happening to good people. Your work is an essential part of an orderly world that goes right, where things are done correctly. And being a Christian means, including having my thing on, whatever, being a Christian means doing your work well. Okay? A large chunk of society is dedicated to preventing or fixing the problem of bad things happening to good people. The police, the courts, counselors, doctors, nurses, engineers, military protects the nation as a whole, cybersecurity, locksmiths. Society is ordered around stopping bad things happening to good people. You're part of the answer to the question why do bad things happen to good people? Well, they won't happen if you do your work well. If someone had inspected that engine and got it right and seen the blade, that accident would not have happened. Right? Now, I lost nine friends in a small aircraft in Papua New Guinea when a little thing in the engine wasn't adjusted correctly and the plane crashed soon after takeoff. Why does that happen? Someone didn't do their work correctly. They didn't intend that to happen. But when you do your work correctly, bad things stop happening to good people. When you pray, when you love, when you walk in the commandments of Jesus, bad things don't happen to good people. You're part of the answer. And I want you to encourage with that. We're going to pray together. Stand up. We're going to pray and pray together. Or I'll pray it for you, really. Heavenly Father, we are pilgrims and strangers upon the earth. And our time is... What's happened there? Hello? Can we get the prayer back? Uh, uh. Heavenly Father, we are pilgrims and strangers upon the earth. And our time is short. And our days are few and full of struggle. Send your spirit and increase our faith. Strengthen our abilities to love. And fill our hearts with hope. So that we do not become bitter and unbelieving. But rather behold your glory. And become like Christ. Receive the blessing of the Lord. Receive the safety of the Lord. Receive God's guarding you through his holy angels. I pray that everyone here is healed. I pray that everyone here is kept safe. I pray that everyone here is blessed and kept in the grace of God. And I pray, Lord, that you may make us agents of comfort in this world, agents of love, faith, grace, and prayer, so this world becomes a better place because we lived in it. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.